Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. A young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was the Prime Minister of England, and he said, and I quote, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate you giving me a few minutes in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. Young man, go right ahead. I would like to study law. Yes, the great, said the great statesman. And what then? Well, sir, I'd like to gain entrance into the bar of England. Yes, young man. And what then? Well then, sir, I hope to have a place in the Parliament, in the House of the Lords. Yes, yes, young man, great. And what then? Pressed Gladstone. Well then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, yes, very good. And what then? Well then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man. And what then? He tenaciously asked. Well then, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man. And what then? The young man hesitated and then said, I never thought any further than that, sir. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, Young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. See, this morning, I want to talk to you about living a life that matters. Now, I want you to let that soak in, living a life that matters. Because I believe we all want to live a life that matters. I believe that we all want to live a life with purpose. But I also believe it must cost us something. Now, listen carefully. If you and I are here and go, Pastor, that's exactly, I want my life to count. I, I want a life that matters. Now, now, you need to listen to this because, because if we want to live a life that matters for the Lord, well, we must sacrifice. We must suffer. We must submit. We must serve. Hold on, Pastor. I don't like any of those words. I, I'm not sure about sacrifice. I definitely don't want to suffer. Submit? Mm-mm. Serve? Here's why. We don't like these words because they seem as steps down to insignificance. You see, I feel insignificant if I'm just a servant. Nobody's going to know my name. I won't build a legacy. Sacrifice? Suffer? No, 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 no. But in Christ's kingdom, they're not steps to insignificance, they're steps to greatness in the kingdom of the Lord. So here's my question. What are you living for? What are you living for? See, I want you to let that soak in for just a minute. What am I living for? Ask, ask that question in your own heart. What am I living for? See, because your answer to that question actually determines the direction of your life. 
What am I living for? See, if your purpose is wrong, your direction will be wrong. If your purpose is vague or fuzzy, then your direction will be fuzzy. And if you don't know your purpose, you'll just be swept along by the currents of our culture. Let that sink in. If you don't know where you're going, you will get lost along the way. The Apostle Paul was clear and focused on his purpose. And I believe that the purpose for which he lived is the only purpose that actually takes eternity into account. So whether we live a long life or whether it's cut short, that purpose will be fulfilled. So in reality, Paul is telling him or telling us that his purpose is really for me to live is Christ. That's his purpose. So my question once again, church, is what are you living for? What are you living for? You see, we need to take an honest assessment of our hearts and what are we living for? Some of us in this world, well, we're living for selfish ambition. I got to grow. I got to work my way up the ladder. Some of us in this life, well, we're living for fame and glory. What are you living for? Some of us in this life are living for the Lord. We're living for Jesus. Here's why. Here's why. Because this is life. And ready or not, someday it's all going to come to an end. It's all going to come to an end. No more sunrises. No more sunsets. No more minutes, hours, or days. All the things you collected, whether treasured or forgotten, will pass to someone else. If you're not here on Wednesday nights, that's exactly what Solomon said. Solomon said, I worked super duper hard so somebody else could have it. And I don't even know if he's going to take care of it. How much money you have, how much money you have, or how popular you are, will one day be irrelevant. Your grudges, listen, your resentments, your frustrations and jealousies will finally disappear. So to your hopes, your ambitions, your plans, your to-do lists, all will expire. The wins and losses, think about this church, that once seemed so important will fade away. It won't matter where you came from or what side of the tracks you lived on in the end. It won't matter how beautiful or brilliant you are. So what really matters then? What really matters? How will you, Christian, value the days that you have left? Let me say this. What will matter is not what you bought, but what you built. It's not what you got, but what you gave. What will matter is not your success, but your significance. What will matter is not what you learned, but what you taught. What will matter is every act of integrity, compassion, courage, or sacrifice that enriched, empowered, or encouraged other to emulate your example. What will matter? Not your competence, but your character. What will matter is not how many people you knew, 
But how many people will feel a lasting loss when you're gone? What will matter is not your memories, but the memories that will live in those who loved you. Living a life of matter doesn't happen by accident. It's not a matter of circumstance. Oh, wow, it's a matter of choice. My exhortation to you this morning, church, is to choose to live a life that matters. Choose to live a life that matters. Now, I believe that's what Paul is trying to teach us today. That you and I are called to live a life that matters. A life with purpose. A life with meaning. Too many people these days, church, listen to me, they simply exist. They just exist. They get up and they go through the whole same thing. 30 years later, they retire and they continue in the same thing. And they hate change. And they just exist. And then one day we realize they're not existing anymore because now they're gone. Did they really live a life? Did it really matter? Did they have purpose? Paul says, listen, you want and you need to live a life that matters. Now, here's what I find interesting. You know this. In the book of Philippians, it's known as a book of joy in the Bible. Yet, Paul's writing this from prison. Paul's writing this, and there's some great application to us, and if you haven't written this down, write it down. Here's the point. Your circumstances today doesn't determine your joy. Your circumstances today, your job, your boss, where you live, all the bills that you have coming in, they don't determine your joy. Your circumstances, your prodigals, your whatever it might be, you can fill in the blank. If you and I put joy in Christ alone, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We will always have joy because Christ is unshakable. And at the end of the day, we come to realize that the world didn't give us joy, therefore, it can't take it away. I don't want to live a life in one minute, hey, I'm happy, and then circumstances happen, and then I'm bummed. And then something changes, and yay, I'm happy, woo, and then circumstances, and I'm sad again. I don't want that anymore. I want that joy. And having the right perspective, having the right glasses put on, the glasses of Jesus Christ saying, that's my ultimate. I don't want to have my tent pegs so deep in this world that that everything it does robs me of, of the joy of my salvation. I need to remember that we're just passing through. We're sojourners. We're on vacation, if you will in this world, but this is not our home. And I don't know about you, but right about now, a lot of us are getting homesick. I want to go home. I want to go home. This has been fun. (laughs) It's been fun. We've had some great memories. We've had some great memories. Amen. But I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. Sometimes, church, when we hear that a loved one passes away, We're actually envious a little bit. Wow, she's there. He's there. Wow. You see, what saddens us 
What saddens us is that you and I that stay here and have to live a life without somebody we love. That's what hurts. But for the believer, it's such a great encouragement that one day we'll see him again, and we tend to forget that. If they're a believer, like, man, they just got there first. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. So before we jump into our text this morning, I'd like to set the stage just a little bit. Paul, in these verses, are going to lay out some things that we need to learn and apply. But if we don't understand the how and the why, then it basically becomes another Bible study. Hey, what did you do this morning? Went to church? What was it about? I don't know. We're there. But we went and we ate at Rosa's afterwards. It was great. The tacos were amazing. Wow, they make good tacos. Oh, we went over here. No, 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 no. We, we, we really need to go, Lord, this is for you. What, what do I need to learn? And so with that, the psalmist gives us just a little bit of insight what we need to learn today. So hold your place here in Philippians and go over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is some insight into a life that matters. Psalm 119, we're only looking at a few verses, guys. I want you to see verses 1 and 2, and you need to write in your Bible or, making, or take note or whatever it might be because, because the psalmist is amazing. Look at verse 1. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. Now, I want you to notice the word blessed. Notice the word blessed. Right there, do you see that? Here it's used twice in these two verses, and you can circle it because it has, a, it has a, an, an unbelievable, it, it means happy. It means happy. It means joyful. But it also means happy, joyful, complete, perfect, or sincere. Happy, joyful, perfect, or sincere. Think about that. The psalmist starts off with, Blessed, how happy are you? How sincere are you? How joyful are you? Who are undefiled in the way. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Now I want you to circle that word for walk. This is important. You go, why? Because in the Hebrew, here's what it means. It means a habitual pattern of living. A habitual pattern of living. So the writer of the psalm starts off by saying, Happy, joyful, content are those who obey him, who obey the word of God, keep his testimonies, that means keep the word of God, seek him, and search for him with all of their hearts. Now, this, this is amazing. Because in two verses, God gave us the secret to everlasting joy and happiness. But wait, there's more. You go, where's more? Look at verse 3 and 4. They also do no iniquity. They, there it is again, guys. Walk in His ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Now, before I jump into this, I want to go back to verse 2 for a minute. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with a whole heart. Very, very important. Why? Because I want to seek God with all of my heart, every bit of my heart. But I'd like to equate it to a story of young people who date. Young people who date. 
When we grow up, we get to be about the age of 13, 14, 15, 16, and we start to notice that there's the opposite sex is attractive. Oh, wow, I think I would like to date. Now, what happens in, in a normal relationship is you, you tend to date, and then you tend to give your heart to somebody, and about age 16, 17, or 18, oftentimes you get your heart broken. I was so in love, and she broke my heart. And then you say, okay, well, that's fine. I'll get over it. And then we date somebody else, and we date some, and then we get to the place where we start giving ourselves over in hopes that that's love. Here I am. And then the Lord brings you who you're supposed to be with, and you go, oh, darling, this is it. I love you with my whole heart. And yet your whole heart is not whole, is it? There's been pieces given to a lot of people along the way. Pastor Ben, time out. I'm supposed to test drive before I buy, right? I'm supposed to date. No, 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 be careful. If you trust the Lord, you'll wait for that right, that right one. You go, Ben, what's the point? Here it is. Oftentimes when we give our hearts to things other than God, we start to worship idols, we start to follow other ways, other doctrines, then the, the psalmist comes and he says, he, seek him with your whole heart. You don't have a whole heart anymore because you've been giving it away to the things of this world. And so we have to take a step back and go, oh Lord, restore my heart to be whole so that I can seek you with all of my heart. And the psalmist comes back and he says, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. And once again, he's, you can see when, when God says something once, we should pay attention. When he says something twice, we go, okay, what does this mean? We're supposed to walk, walk. You go, what does that mean? It's a habitual pattern to, in his ways, a habitual pattern. Now, according to psychology today, we build habits, the articles goes on to say. He says we build two. The first kind of habit we build is called passive habits. Passive habits. You go, what is a passive habit? What is that like? Well, passive habits arise from exposure to things that we eventually get used to. For example, high-altitude climbers gradually adapt their bodies to lower levels of oxygen available as they climb above 7,000 feet. So it's a passive habit. You can train your body. It's a passive. Oh, I'm constantly doing this. Oh, okay. Well, now... I'm okay. All right. I'm just, it's just what? It's passive. It's just exposure to things that you eventually get used to. Now, wives, that doesn't mean that you have a passive habit for your husband. Eventually, you got used to him, and now he's all right. Well, you know, I was exposed to him, and eventually, I just like, all right. I got him leaving this. Anyway. We'll go on. But according to psychology today, he says there's passive habits, but there's active habits. Active habits. And those are a little bit different. See, active habits are developed by repeated intention and effort. Crystallizing as skills reperform with little or no thought. They're just active habits. In other words, the gymnast practice walking, jumping, and flipping on a narrow beam until she can do these maneuvers smoothly without falling. 
she's worked and worked and worked. And you and I will get on that beam and we're wobbly and we can't even do, we can't even do a cartwheel on the ground and, and they want us to do on a beam. But the active gymnast has perfected that. Why does she perfect that church? Because she's constantly, she's constantly doing that. You go, okay, I'm with you. So the Word of God's told us today, you and I are called to walk. Our lives should have a habitual pattern developed by repeated intentions and efforts. You're going, wow, what do you mean? Listen, there's a great lesson to learn here. You go, what's that? Salvation is free, but you and I have to put in the work to walk in His ways. We have to put in the work. Now, just so I'm crystal clear and I don't get an email, we don't work for our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Can I get an amen? But in order to walk in integrity, in order to obey the Word of God, in order to walk in His paths, we have to do the work. We have to do the work. Sleeping with the Bible under your pillow will not give you a godly life. I wish it would, but it doesn't. You have to apply the precepts and obey. You have to go, okay, what does God want me to do? How can I obey these? How, what do I need to do? You have to put in the work. Now, you and I, such amazing, wonderful creatures that God created, we will work very hard for what we want. Where we feel like we get a gain. We'll work hard. We'll study hard. We want to get those good grades. We'll do that. Unfortunately, when it comes to the Word of God and it comes to a godly life, we'll leave it by chance. Oh, I, got, I, I prayed a prayer. I prayed a prayer. Yeah, well, I mean, 40 years ago, I prayed a prayer. I should be okay. If something changed, I, God would have told me. I don't know. Instead of doing the work to grow. To grow. Think about this as we jump into our text. Because here's the foundation. In chapter 1, Paul is going to give us several things and will take a, a repeated intention and a repeated effort so we can grow in our walks with him. I want to take you back just a little bit. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 with me. Paul writes, and we've already covered this, but being confident in this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, I am certain that God who began a good work in you, within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, think about this. You've made an effort to go, okay, God, I'm going to walk in your ways. I'm going to walk. I'm going to have that repeated intention to just know your word, to love your word, and to obey. You go, yes. What God does, he goes, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I've begun a good work. I'm going to walk with you in this. And I'm not going to give up until I see it finished. And you go, wow, amen, yes. And I love, guys, I love that we'll progress in our faith because God is too committed to transforming us. 
If you'll step up and say, God, here I am, do it, do it, Lord. I'm not going to resist you. But the problem is, is that we find ourselves resisting the transforming power of God. And, and, and we, oh, I want my way. And your flesh goes, no, I want to do what I want to do. And you find yourself, and, and instead of just going, here I am, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. Let the Lord do the work, but be willing to. It reminds me of a story. A young fella got saved. He got saved. And, and this was a, this was a pot smoking, just, just got saved, got radically saved, goes to his pastor and says, Pastor, I just got saved. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Do I need to quit smoking pot? The pastor says, no. No, 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 pastor, you don't hear me. You don't, you're not listening. Listen, I, all, Ever since I was young, I was getting, I, do I need to stop? He goes, no, you don't have to. Confused, the man said, so listen, this, this pastor's old. He's not understanding what I'm saying. Do I have to, do, you, you know what a doob, doobie is, right? From your generation, you know, do I need it? And he goes, no. He goes, why not? He says, how many of you ever take a shower before getting in the shower? You see, all you have to do is accept the Lord, be willing and obedient, and then let God do the work. And see, that's the problem sometimes with Christianity. We sit there and go, hey, you need to give your life to Jesus, and then you need to change, and you need to do this, and you need to, and you need to stop doing that. You need, and they put all these, these, what, these things on us, and we go, oh, that's kind of heavy for me to carry. I'll never forget, back in the 80s, long hair, okay, just... Just 80s guy, 80s guy, got saved. And a well-meaning Christian lady comes up to him and goes, oh, now you're saved. Now you need to cut your hair. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> Why? Well, and then she took an obscure passage that says that men should not have long hair in the Old Testament. Well, I didn't think God cared if I had long hair or not. This is the 80s, you know, where everybody has long hair. Now, I didn't get the earring. Some of you all did. Some of you did. I wasn't allowed. But does that matter? Because I've got short hair now. i got short hair. God, God worked it all out in my life. We have to be careful that we are not legalistic to those who are walking with Jesus. But be praying and encouraging. Now, if somebody comes to you and goes, hey, examine my life, what do you see? You trust me? I trust you. Oh, here, here. This is here's here's what God's word says. You should be praying about that. But don't put that. Don't put heavy burdens on them. Put heavy burdens on them. Listen, we don't want to look like the rest of our city. We want to look like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus, and that's the goal. That's the goal. Paul says, being confident. It means to fully and firmly persuade or be convinced. While salvation from the penalty of sin happens at the moment a person accepts Christ, the process of becoming more like Christ is exactly that, a process. It's a process. See, living a life that matters means doing his part, we must do ours. That's verse 6. Look at verse 10. Jump over to verse 10. 
We talked about this too. He says that you may approve the things that are excellent, Paul writes, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, here's what he's saying. I like the way the New Living says it. It says, for I want you to understand what really matters. That's what he's saying. What really matters? So that you live a pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. This is what he's saying. So we must understand what really matters so that we live a life that matters. Paul says that you approve the things that are excellent. Here's what Paul's saying. What really matters in our lives is we need to take a moment to think about the things, listen, that seem important but really aren't. Take a moment in your life right now that, that is stressing you out. They seem important, but really you go, they're not. They're not. There's a lot in our lives, guys. There's a lot. And what we need to understand is living a life that matters doesn't happen by accident. It's a matter of, uh, or it's not a matter of circumstance, but a matter of choice. Listen to what Warren Wearsby writes. He says, quote, Paul always took time to pray for people. His prayer is that we might live full lives. An empty Christian is a tragedy. He prayed that they might be full of love and discernment that they might be faithful in their daily walk, and they might be fruitful as Christian service. This was a prayer for Christian maturity, end quote. So that's what he says. Okay, so, so we've, got a, we've got a purpose. And now we jump into our text, verse 19. If you're taking note, Paul's going to give us three wonderful points in verses 19 through 26. Ready? Jot this down. First and foremost, you're going to see Paul's promise. That's number one, Paul's promise. Number two, you're going to see Paul's purpose. He's going to define his purpose. And then number three, Paul's going to give us his patience. So you got promise, you got purpose, and you got patience. Three P words that you can write down and remember. Promise, purpose, and patience. Now, all three are needed if we're going to live a life that matters in this world. Okay, let's look at Paul's promise number one. Verse 19 uh, and 20. Paul says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, we need some background, okay? What did Paul just say? Remember that Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison, and he was facing a great ordeal. You and I are super blessed. We're not in prison today. We're free. We come to church. We have a life. We have a job. Paul's in prison. But true to his nature, he didn't want to alarm his friends. He, all he wanted to do was further the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all he wanted to do. And so as he writes this letter, even in the worst of circumstances, his heart was to see, his heart was to sit and see people saved. Saved. What an amazing man. You know where joy comes from? It's when you stop looking within and start looking at how you can meet the needs of other people. That's where joy comes from. That's where joy comes from. Get our eyes off of ourself and on to the needs of others. I got a question for you, because I think it happens a lot. 
a lot of times we walk through this world and we, I don't know if you live with people, but, but some of us might live with a lot of negative people. Any, anybody work or live with negative people? I mean, they can find the bad in anything, right? They can find, somebody comes up with, somebody comes home with a gallon of ice cream and you go, oh, you just got vanilla? It's like, you didn't even know we had ice cream until just now and, you, and they're just negative. Do you know how bad that rubs off on us? Oh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the first time I went to Israel. I went with a couple from our church. It was just three of us. And my goodness, I am in the Holy Land. I'm seeing everything for the first time. But this couple's negativity, by day three, I found myself complaining about everything. I, I, I'm like a negative magnet. You know, I just... You, anybody with me? And, and, and it's so funny because you're like, I, I don't think I'm a negative person, but then I hang around with negative people, and I'm like, you know what? That's right. And there's people, and I can't. And you're just like, that's not who I am. Man, that's really tough. That's really tough. We need to. Wow. It's hard to give the gospel of Jesus Christ when we're negative all the time. We're negative. It's hard. It's hard to say, hey, hey, let me tell you about my Jesus, how wonderful he is. See, Paul, even in the worst of circumstances, his heart was to see people saved. You go, Ben, why did you tell me the negative circumstances? Because if that was me, I think I would have wrote to the Philippians and said, pray for me. Things are really bad here. I'm really super bummed, and I feel like quitting, and I'm in this jail, and I'm in this prison, and I don't know when I'm going to get out. And Man, if you would just, if you would just pound the, 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 the gates of heaven for me in my behalf, you know, I just, I don't know, man. I haven't eaten, and I don't feel like eating, and this food is horrible, and I didn't do anything wrong. And, and people are talking bad about me, and they're falsely accusing me, and I'm just, that would be my letter. But Paul says, no, I'm going to get my eyes off of me and I'm going to get them onto the Lord and I'm going to, I want to encourage you guys. Keep, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. He says, I want, you, I, I want you to notice Paul's confidence, he says. He starts by saying, I know. I know. In the Greek, it means to be aware, to perceive, to consider, to behold. He says, I know. I, I, just, I want you to know. I want you to consider. I want you to, to be aware. What, Paul? What do you want us to be? He says this. Notice. I want you to know that, that this will turn out for my deliverance. Do you guys see that? Circle that word because it's translated salvation. Salvation. Paul's trial had probably begun. He was confident that either release or death would advance the cause of Christ. Isn't that a great way to look at life? Hey, I, I'm, I'm going to be saved one way or another. Well, they might kill you. Okay. I, think about the opportunities we have. Think about the opportunity. And he goes, well, what if you get released? Praise God. My question to you, listen. How many of us praise God on the mountaintop? Come on, raise your hands. Do you praise God on the mountaintop? Yeah, praise the Lord. How many of us praise God in the valley? When we're When we're broken. And we're busted. We praise God. Amen. We should be able to praise Him in both, don't you think? In these two verses, we see Paul's confidence and conviction. 
For I know that as you pray for me, in the Spirit of Jesus, Christ helps me, and this will lead to my deliverance. And I love the confidence here. But not from himself, right? His confidence comes from prayer. His personal prayer, so Paul had a good prayer life, but also the prayer of his friends. That's where it comes from. So let me encourage you, church. We are a body. We are a community. We need to be praying for each other. We all have our own prayer life, but man, my confidence comes when I know Jeremiah is praying for me. That's just amazing. This morning, early morning, 6 o'clock, I'm up, I'm studying, I'm getting through my message. I get a text from my pastor in Amarillo praying for you this morning. And then think about that. I was like, wow, that is cool. And that brings the confidence of like, yeah, somebody's prayed for me. This is good. This is, that's how Paul felt. And his confidence, and, and, and not only that, his, his confidence comes from prayer, but also from what? From the abundance of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 20 in the New Living. It says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have in the past. And I trust my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Can I just share something with you? Let me just say, see, see if this relates to your life. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus' light shone on him, right? Do you remember that? And, and a bright light and, and all of that. Do you realize that's the day Paul died? You go, Paul didn't die. He was just blinded. And then they took him. No, 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 no. See, the old Paul, the old Saul died that day. And at that point, what was he afraid of at this point? What was he afraid of? He's like, my life is Christ. Let's go. Let's go. In the same way, when you became born again, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, that was the day you actually died. Your former life is gone. You're now lived. So what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? Now, now again, think about this. Think about this. The beautiful conviction that only comes from a life that's surrendered to God. If we, you and I are going to live a life that matters, we have to have the same conviction. First of all, it's this. I will never be ashamed. I will continue to be bold. Whether in life or death, I trust my life will bring honor to the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul's hope, Paul's promise is in knowing the Lord. In knowing the Lord. Let me give you his purpose. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's his purpose. Whatever life, time, or strength, Paul says, I have is Christ's. Christ is the sole object for which I live. God is calling us to be single-minded, single-minded Christian that does not allow circumstances to overcome him. He or she turns those circumstances into opportunities to magnify Christ and to win souls. We have to be what? Single-minded. How do you become single-minded? The day you got saved was the day that your obit was written. And now you, you belong to Christ. So you go, for me to live is Christ. And to die, amen. You've heard so many pastors say, hey, one day you're going to hear that Pastor Ben died. Don't believe him. Don't believe a word of it. I will never be more alive than on that day. And that's true. That's true. One of these days, I might hear that you, one of you all has passed on, and, oh, did he die? Nope, nope. 
they're going to be more alive than ever before. Ever before. Think about this, guys. The single-minded Christian doesn't allow circumstances to overcome him. We talked about that last week. How we talked about turning adversities into uh, are, full of, are full of opportunities. The things we go through are full of opportunities. We have to look for them, though. We have to go, okay, Lord, Lord, how do we, how do we find the good in this circumstance? How do we find an opportunity for the gospel? How do we do that? Well, my boss is being a real jerk. How do we find an opportunity to share the gospel? But Paul here declares that the focus, his purpose, the reason for everything he does while he's alive on the earth is to glorify Jesus and to make him known. To make him known. He further states his anticipation of being with Jesus in heaven after he dies. He goes, that's gay. That's king. His life has found all meaning in Christ. Paul understood what really mattered in life. His life had meaning and purpose. He says, for me to live is Christ. That's all what I'm all about. To die is gain. Well, guys, this morning, I pray that that would be the same focus for us for that same reason. For me to live, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're single, make sure that the guy that you're interested is running hard and fast after Christ. Because that's your purpose, for me to live as Christ. For me to live as Christ. A single-minded Christian doesn't want to be tripped up even in a relationship. Doesn't want to be tripped up. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. That doesn't mean, well, he's, he's come from the wrong side of the track, so I married an uptown girl. It has nothing to do with that. It means that they're, you're both walking and you're so in love with the Lord that you're, you're going to be an encouragement to each other, not a stumbling block. Your, your pastor has seen so many wonderful Christian guys and gals leave the God they love because of a relationship. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because that's not what God intended. God intended her to be a helpmate. God intended him to be a leader and walk together. And walk together. Verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. What you guys need to know in verse 22 to 24, honestly, is that Paul is a real person. Paul is real. And he's just going, man, I don't know what to do. I'm confused. What are you confused about, Paul? I want to go home. I want to go home. But you know what? Listen, I love you guys, and it's actually more needful for me to stay here. He's got a real heart. He's got a real heart. And again, Paul reiterates what the psalmist told us in Psalm 119. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful works for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which is far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue 
to live here. You see what Paul is saying. What's the application for us? Lord, we desire purpose, a reason for being here. Help us consider all the things that I can do for you to further the gospel, even though I'm a little homesick. Even though I'm a little homesick. That's his purpose, for me to live. To me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If you're here today and you're a born-again follower, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, heaven is secure. It's there. You don't have to work for it. You have to do anything to get it. It's done. That's the prize. That's the goal. That's the reward, whatever you want to call it. And so now, here's how we live. We live so that we can serve each other. We live so that we can bring the gospel. We live so that others in our city can see Jesus. We live so that we can be a good example. We live so that our lives are real to people. Let me say this. They're not looking for you to be perfect. They know you're not perfect. They know they're not perfect. What they are looking for is for you to be authentic. Authentic. You're real. Your kids are looking for you to be real, to be authentic. To say, I'm sorry. To say, please forgive me. I messed up. Daddy messed up. Daddy blew it. Mama blew it. I'm so sorry. I I got in the flesh. And all of this stuff, they're looking to be real. They're not looking for you to be perfect. But sometimes we created a culture where we go, I'm the dad. I said it. Just believe it. Amen. And and, and, and no matter which way you go, this is how we sort of put it. And your kids go, man, what a hypocrite. You say this, but you live like this. It's far better for you to be authentic and be real and walk in integrity. It's far better for us to do that at our jobs and at our school. And when we blow it at our jobs, we go to our boss and say, no, I, I totally blew that report. I'm so sorry. Well, you're fired. And Okay, that's the consequences. I'll work harder next time. But we want to live authentically. We're not looking for angles in our job. Oh, let's see if I can slide in here. Maybe I'll get that promotion. Just, just love Jesus. Do your job. Do your job. Love Jesus. The world is looking at us, guys. The world is looking. Is your walk with Jesus everything you said it is? Do you stop and pray when you need to? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you know that heaven is secure, which should put a smile on our face? If we struggle with that, then we have some work to do with the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling with that, man. Struggling. Let me give you the third one. Paul's patience, verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant by Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Notice Paul's heart. His heart was for Jesus. And yet somehow he knew, I'm going to be acquitted. I'm going to be acquitted. He says, you know what? I'm really confident. I'm confident. He goes, knowing this, knowing what? He says, man, I'm convinced. What are you convinced, Paul? I'm going to remain alive so I continue to help all you grow and experience the joy of your faith. The joy of your faith. And he says, and when I come to you, go, you will, uh, when I come to you again, you will even more, I mean, just have more reason to take pride in Jesus Christ because all he's doing through me. Paul, I thought you were going to die. I thought this was it. No, no, <laughs> no. 
No, I had confidence. I have confidence. Here's the thing you need to grasp, guys. If you and I want to live a life that matters, if you and I want to live a life that matters this morning, we need to take a lesson from Paul. What's that? His selfishness always, or, or we need to take a lesson from Paul. Selfishness always breeds unhappiness. Selfishness always breeds unhappiness. Paul's life mattered, and he had joy. You ask why? Because he loved others. He prayed for others. He encouraged others, and he sought to bring joy to others. You see, in a, a few minutes ago, I said, heaven is secure. That's where you're going. You're going to heaven. You, you gave your life. God's already preparing a place for you. It's all set. All done. The contract was signed in blood on the cross of Calvary. You go, amen. But what Paul does, he says, I want to give you a little bit of heaven on earth. What's heaven on earth? What's heaven on earth? Heaven on earth? Yeah, heaven on earth. You see, Paul's heaven on earth was helping others, sharing to others. Well, he'd long to be with Christ, like you and I at times. We'd long to be with Jesus. He eagerly yearned to remain and help these believers grow in Christ. When we see other people grow in Jesus, that should bring just joy in our heart. Amen. Yeah, but, but God took a guy like Jeremiah and he's really gifted him, or, or God took Abriana and she's really gifted. Well, well, I don't know why God's not using him. No, no, no. Our hearts should be like, yes, lift him up. It was the Apostle John who said, oh, my heart does so, oh, I love it when my children obey the Lord. It's so sweet. I love when I see them grow. I love it when I see them make good decisions. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. That's, oh, I love it when God begins to take the young people and starts using them in ways that are going to reach the, I'm not jealous of that. I don't care. Because I got heaven secure. My job is just to see others grow. My job is to see others bloom where they're planted. And me as a pastor, I get to see that with you guys. I got to see that with you guys. I think of some of you when I first met you. Ooh. And then you got saved and you came here and you sat in those chairs and you gave your life to the Lord and I can see you growing. Here's the frustration. Sometimes you go, they're not growing fast enough. Oh, they're still making mistakes. They're still getting bumps on the head. No, no, no. You know what? We go, you know what? They're still growing. They're still growing. You guys remember that old, that old uh, song that we used to sing if you grew up in Sunday school, God's still working on me. God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I don't know the rest of the song. But that's how it goes from here on. But he's still working on us, right? You realize that every one of us is still under construction. <laughs> we got all these construction things on our heads and blah, 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 you know, and, and cranes coming out and stuff being chipped off and things broken. and uh, So we're really walking like this. What's the matter? I'm, God's still working on me. You've got a lot to fix. When do we get there? When we die. Maybe at 80 or 90 or 100 years old, we'll look a little more like Christ. A little bit more. 
Maybe you won't have one arm dislocated. It's down here now. But if we're young, we're here. What's happening? Oh, man, my knee hurt. Anybody wake up and their knee hurt for no reason? That's the Lord working on us. We're under construction, man. We're under construction. It's the spiritual part. Ching, 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 ching. Oh, oh. How's your heaven on earth? You find joy in helping and growing others. It's hard to have joy when you're struggling in your own walk. It's hard to have, it's hard to look as you're like, ah, I'm blowing it, man. Okay, Lord, I need to get my eyes off of me. <sighs> I want to go home, but that's, that doesn't seem to be happening. It seems like God wants me here a little longer. And so I'm going to find joy. How can I serve? How can I help others? How can I? I can be a prayer warrior. I can be a prayer warrior. I'll pray. I'll pray for others. I can be, I can be a discipler. I'll help disciple. I can just be a friend. I can just be a friend. We can have coffee together and just share, share your heart. Share your heart. I love that people come to me. I love, and, and, and this, just, this just warms my heart. I love that people can come to me and they can tell me their deepest struggles. And I don't know, at times they're looking for a reaction like this. Like, but I've heard it all. I've had more people come in and they'll tell me their struggles and I go, I, I know. I'm with you. I'm with you. Because God never called us to judge in that way. He's called us to help and to help cultivate so we can produce more fruit. But he doesn't want me to look at you and go, wow, you did that? Huh. I don't think you should come here no more. What? No. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Let me tell you why. Because your pastor wasn't born saved. He made all the mistakes growing up, just like a young kid. I made all the mistakes, did all the dumb stuff. And then God saved me. And I did more dumb stuff. You go, what do you mean? Huh? Am I preaching? Yeah, because sometimes you still make mistakes when you're saved. Sometimes you run your truck into a big puddle of water when you know you shouldn't go through. You just mistakes. Sorry, I had to. She was right there. All right, let's close. Let's close. Living a life that matters. Guys, we, we've talked about these things. We've talked about, about promise, and we've talked about purpose, and we've talked about patience. But let me give you one more. As the worship team makes their way to the stage, let me give you verse 27. Now, we're going to talk about this last, we're going to talk about this more next week. So, uh, but he writes here, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that when I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, and one mind, striving together for one faith in the gospel. What is Paul doing? He's exhorting us to behave ourselves as citizens of heaven. Okay? He's exhorting us. He says, he says only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Okay? So, so again, think about this. If you and I are going to live a life that matters, we need to take a step back we need to take a step back and what? 
and, and watch our behavior. Watch who we represent. We're citizens of heaven, and the world is watching. And it says it needs to be worthy. That word worthy, and you will see this next week, it means balanced. It means that balance. In other words, they pay you for what you're worth. And it balances out. And that's what it means. He says, your conduct needs to balance out. You call yourself a born-again Christian, make sure that they go, yup, yup, it's, it's balanced. Our problems as a body of Christ is that we're off balance. We say one thing, but we don't live it. And so we have to... We have to balance out because there are times when we're living it and nobody knows we're a Christian because we're not saying it. So let's find the balance. We'll do more of that next week. What do we learn? If you and I want to live a life that matters, we need to live a life of purpose. We have to walk habitually pattern of living in His ways. We have to walk with His promise, knowing God. Knowing God. Knowing Him intimately, knowing Him secretly, knowing Him openly, knowing Christ. He should be your all in all. Number two, you should live with purpose. What's your purpose? Heaven's secure. <laughs> it's there. Amen. So now I'm going to live with purpose. For me to live is Christ. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, what if they kill us? I get to go home. I have the promise of a resurrection. And I've already put my checklist in for my new body, okay? A little bit taller, da-da-da, da-da-da, all that stuff. Not so much calories, you know, all this stuff. You, know, I've, I've, you, you do your own. But I, that's already taken care of. So we got work to do here. What do we got? We got a lot of work. We got, hey, hey. Through those doors and in this world and in this city are a lot of people who need to know their worth in Christ. And nobody's telling them it. They're around negative people all day long and they feel that way. They feel so ashamed. Our job is to come in and go, hey, you know what your worth is in Christ? Amen. Yeah, pastor, but you don't know what I've done. God does. I'm here to encourage you. Come on. Come on, keep walking. Keep walking. Tell the devil to shut his face and keep walking. Keep walking. Last but not least, guys, we learned to have patience. To have patience. One day, you and I, if the Lord doesn't tarry, we're going to close our eyes. Some of us through old age, some of us might have an accident. I don't know what it's going to be, but we need to be patient. We'll get there. We'll get there. Paul says, man, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. Can I get an amen? Before we go, I want to give you, anyone, even those watching online, an opportunity to surrender to God. You see, you might be here today going, you know, Pastor, you were saying some things. And it made me realize I don't have that relationship you were talking about with God. I don't have that real relationship. Man, I'm still struggling. You were talking about knowing God. I know about God. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not sure if I really know God. What do I need to do? Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply raise your hand so I can pray for you and ask the Lord to illuminate your heart through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. You go, yes, okay, then what? Now I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer of, 
asking Jesus into your heart to, to become not only Savior, but become Lord. And you give him full reins of your life. I'm not asking you to clean yourself up. I'm not asking you to go get clean before you come back. I'm asking you to go, Lord, it's all you. I'm going to start with that. And if you do that, God will come into your heart and he'll cleanse you and he'll save you and he'll give you purpose and you'll live a life that matters. Can I get an amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word and your graciousness and your love and your mercy. I thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit was here. We love you so much. I pray that right now, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you the way you desire to be known, that you begin knocking on their heart right now. And Lord, a simple raising their hand doesn't mean they're saved, but it means that they're willing to take that first step of commitment to follow you. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work, that it's not my words or my influence or anything else, but God, that it it would be your work. And I pray. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I want to recommit or commit my life to Jesus once and for all. I don't have the joy. I don't know if my life really matters, but I want that today. I'm ready to take that commitment to follow Jesus, but I need prayer first. If that's you, Would you just simply lift your hand so I can see you? Nobody else will see. God will see you. God bless you, sister, over here to my right. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Just raise your hand. I'm looking. Ask the Lord, Lord, am I right with you? Am I right? Am am, am I? Okay, Lord, I want to be right. Just lift up your hand and say, I'm ready to commit 100% fully today. I'm yours. That's where it starts, and then we'll let the Lord do. Anyone else? I see two. Amen. God bless you guys. Anyone else? Father, I pray for these hands that were raised. Father, you're doing a great work, and we trust that you're going to finish that work. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. I pray for these hands. Those of you who raised your hand, if you'll say something like this, doesn't have to be word for word, but if you'll sincerely search and seek for God, you might pray. I might pray a prayer of belief. Say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I get that. I'm a mess. I've walked away from you. I've did my own thing. I've lived in the flesh. But today, my eyes are open. You are God. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you were buried, and that you rose again on the third day for me. And right now, Jesus, you're at the right hand of the Father praying for me. But Lord, I'm on earth, and I need your help. I love that you're my Savior, but today I'm asking you to be my Lord. Take control of the reins of my heart. Take control of the reins of my mind. Help me to repent from things that are displeasing to you. Help me to surrender. Lord, come into my life. I confess my sin to you. Please forgive me. Take control. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? Would you be my friend? I choose to follow you this day forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you... 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.